Thanks, Dan. And uh, Jonathan, that's great playing. I assume that was a COVID hobby you picked up. You did pretty good with that uh, guitar playing. Anyway, um, you know, we uh, just love this church. Um, we came here 20 years ago, and we didn't know anybody. We came in the middle of the summer, uh, and um, we ended up here, and it's been a blessing. Uh, we, our kids needed a place to connect, and the youth group was a real lifeline to them. And yeah, it was, it's been, just been, been good, good. And I'm just so thankful for our wonderful pastoral staff and all the staff that serve here. What a, what a wonderful group of men and women who serve our church family and encourage us and bless us. It's really uh, fantastic. Um, I'm also really proud of our church for so many cool things. Uh, you know, we've, we've uh, planted, planted one church, helped to plant another church, uh, you know, Penns Valley and City Light. Um, helped to, to you know, build an orphanage in Peru, uh, the out-of-the-cold thing that we're involved with. Uh, we have this, this wonderful Christian school that we, that, we, um, you know, we, that we provide a home for, provide lots of support for. The Alliance Sports Camp that we just came through, man, that's so exciting. You know, all these lives being touched, just a whole army of volunteers, folks from this church and other places, just so encouraging. So yeah, my heart is just bursting with pride for the way this church family is engaged in serving the needs of our community, seeking to bless in Jesus' name and really make a difference. And so glad to be able to labor here alongside you. Um, Today, we're going to continue this building series that Pastor Aaron started. I think this is week five. And um, I was thinking, so we all go through our own kind of rhythm or schedule for how we live our lives. Maybe we're going to work each day or, or perhaps school, or maybe we're busy caring for our family and raising kids. Perhaps we're retired and we're visiting our grandkids or, or volunteering or caring for a loved one. Whatever it is, these past 19 months... Um, with COVID, we've all had what I call life interrupted. We're all doing our thing, and then er, everything came to a screeching halt. Everything has, has changed. Teachers had to pivot. Remember that word? It's like everybody's using the word pivot. They never used the word pivot. Everybody was pivoting to online teaching. Uh, students had to attend classes from their computers. Uh, employees were all working from home. Some businesses closed, unfortunately. Travel was completely disruptive. You know, we had trips that were canceled. Colleges moved to largely online classes, and most college sports were canceled. For me, I faced a couple of life-interrupted moments. First, with our uh, COVID ministry, with our, <laughs> with COVID, we didn't have a COVID ministry yet. You, you don't need to have a ministry of COVID. But very few international students were coming to Penn State, right? Um, People who were already in the country could come, but it was hard for people to, from outside the country to come in. And those who were here, they didn't want to meet with us for fear of you know, contracting COVID. So we had to move everything online. And just like everybody else, it, it was just hard, you know, just seeing people on a screen. Um, of course, it's nice being able to be in your pajamas. But the ministry was definitely slow going, and it was discouraging you know, at, at times. And then in March, this past March, I had a second life-interrupted event. At 3 a.m. on March 18th, I had this incredible pain in my lower back. It was like a switch had just been turned off. It was just like bring you to your knees pain. Um, I immediately, uh, uh, well, the next day, while still taking strong painkillers to manage things, the doctor told me to get immediately to the ER. But before I did that, 
hey, priorities. So I called uh, one of the elders, and he gathered some elders here, and they came to our home in our living room. They came around me, prayed for me, anointed me with oil. So, okay, we're good to go. Off we go to the hospital, and after some tests, I learned that I had prostate cancer that had spread throughout my bones and my spine. It was serious, and I needed immediate attention. Very quickly, everything changed. My plans for the semester changed. Uh, our summer plans changed. Our prayer life changed. And of course, my body has been changing as I've been getting my treatments and therapy. How do we face life-interrupted moments? Well, the same way we face all of life, by faith, with trust in a sovereign and loving God. The scriptures say in Psalm 103, 19, his throne is established in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. That means that our Jesus is the good king who rules over every aspect of our lives. He is, as one person said, both infinite and intimate, both powerful and personal. So we go to God because he's in control of everything that comes our way, and he cares deeply for the things that we're facing. He's not some distant, impersonal force, but uh, he's our father who loves and cherishes his children. In our Rebuilding Sermon series here at church, we've talked about various elements that we want to consider as we re-engage and kind of we come out of this um, restrictions and disruptions. Today, I'll talk about faith. Walking by faith is supposed to be the normal Christian life. And here's a passage that I think kind of captures what the Christian should be doing. What does it mean really to walk by faith? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, probably familiar to you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. So when we look at those four lines, we remember that this is what's called wisdom literature and as such, it's a type of Hebrew poetry. So you'll notice that the, uh, the poetry doesn't rhyme the sound, it rhymes the idea. You know, the first line and the second line, you see these ideas being rhymed. And the last line is a result of living out those first three lines. Those four lines, in my mind, they're a distillation of how one's supposed to live out the Christian life. We live a life of trusting Him. We live a life of surrender to Him. In essence, we surrender our will to His. Living by faith involves surrendering, surrendering our will to His. And when we desire His will for our lives above all else, that's the best place to be. But doesn't that only make sense? Just think for a minute. Like, I go back in my life, and I remember, you know, I come to know Jesus as my Savior in college. And I knew before that that I was in bondage. There were habits, there were lusts, there were things I was doing that I could not stop. I knew they were wrong, kind of my dark little secrets. I couldn't stop them. And when I placed my faith in Jesus, wow, my sin has been paid for. I deserved punishment. I deserved judgment. I deserved to pay for my sin. But Jesus, Jesus takes the blame and punishment for me on the cross. Can't, this is amazing. And I didn't know that there was more. Not only does he pay for the the penalty, but he also sets you free from the 
power of sin. In fact, it was weeks later, I come across John chapter 3, and I see this thing about being born again. I said, hey, that's me. I have been born again. I've been set free. I've been given a new life. But that's not all, right? Not only have we been set free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but we have this new identity, right? If anyone's in Christ, it's a new creature. The old has come. The old has passed. The new has come. We have a new uh, citizenship, right? We now have dual citizenship. Everyone here, you're an American citizen, but you're also a citizen of heaven. Isn't that so cool? And not only that, but you... Uh, you have a home in heaven now. You're going to have a, a new body, a new resurrection body. There's like so many blessings. Uh, you know, like we're, we, um, we're heirs to all things. We're going to inherit the earth. This is like so cool. We're co-heirs with Christ. I mean, it just boggles your mind as you realize how much God is blessing us, how much good care. So the idea of like surrendering your will to his, like it's all good. It only makes sense. This, he made us. He knows what will bring us the most satisfaction, the most joy. He knows everything about us. It only makes sense we should be looking to him for our help. Well, we have been loved by God in such an incredible way. So verse 5 commands us to trust God with all our heart. That makes sense. Not just part of your heart, your whole heart. Then don't lean on your under. Don't lean on your own understanding. Of course, use the good mind that God gave you and your common sense. Yeah, but lean on him. Look to him to guide your steps. All your ways, submit to him. Yeah, I think of this, letting God be Lord of every area of your life. And then it says, he will make your paths straight. The King James says, he shall direct thy paths. As we trust him to direct our paths, um, um, yeah, as we trust in him, he'll direct our paths. It doesn't say he will give us an easy path. It does not say he will give us a life without pain. Sometimes we face very difficult circumstances and situations, and that doesn't mean we're not following after God. In fact, the times when I've learned the most about God's faithfulness and his care and his power have been when I've been facing some of my greatest trials, like lately. Uh, for example... I'm being reminded all over again that God answers prayer. I mean, I know God answers prayer, but sometimes I pray prayers. Like, I have a whole list of things I pray every day. I'm not seeing, like, all those things answered every day. But in this affliction, I'm seeing some cool answers to prayer, and that's encouraging my heart. Um, I got a call Saturday afternoon from one of my doctors after I was a couple weeks into this thing. Saturday afternoon at your home from a doctor this is not good. You know this is not going to end well. And so the doctor says, you know, Chris, been looking at your scan. One of your vertebrae, it's severely degraded. And if this thing would break, shatter, you know, all kinds of bad things would go. I forget all what he said. I kind of started zoning out after he said that much. He said, and this is how it could be fixed. You know, we could bring in a caterpillar tractor, haul you up, porks, concrete. He's going, I don't know what he's saying, but he's given like three different ways we could handle this. I, he lost me at, if this thing collapses, bad things are going to happen. So he's going on and on. I'm just kind of reeling. Holy smokes, my body's going to fall apart. And he hung up. I hung up, and uh, I just stood there. And I could just feel the fear just starting to well up within me. I thought, okay, this is not good. I know God doesn't want us to live in fear. So I said, Lord, I need a word from you right now, because I'm starting to go into a dark place right now. I need a word from you. And you know what happened? 15 minutes later, we get a phone call from an old family friend. 
okay, this guy's never called us in my whole life since I've been born, okay? Now, we see him occasionally at family functions, but he called, hear about what's happened. Do you know what? He said, that very thing that you just heard about from your doctor, that happened to me. Not a big deal. They took me in. They patched me up. I'm as good as new. Not to worry. Just don't worry about this. Wow, I could, that could not have been a more timely call if it was just like a call right from heaven. Yeah, you call, God answers. This is the God we have. We have a God that answers prayer. It was so cool. And so I've been blessed and encouraged by that. There was another thing that happened that kind of, it's a marker in my experience. So I, again, a few weeks out from the diagnosis, I had this like debilitating pain. I didn't have constant pain. But on this day, I had really bad pain from the base of my head down my back. And it was just like really bad. I'm on full medication. I can't take any more Percocet. And I am just, again, kind of going, going into a, not a great place emotionally, spiritually. And I'm really struggling. And uh, I feel like kind of like I'm sinking, you know. And uh, so I go into the bedroom. It's the afternoon. I go into the bedroom. Karen's there folding clothes. I said, honey, can you just pray for me? So she puts her hands on me. My wife, godliest woman I know, she puts her hands on me. She prays. And uh, so nothing happens. I walk out. It's 10 minutes, 10 seconds after she prayed. The pain just got small. What was like at a 9 or 10 went down to like a 5. It was just amazing. Literally, I felt as if I was in quicksand. I was going down. And it's like the Lord said, okay, Gabriel, we got a Chris is about ready to go under. We need a big hand to pull him out. And that's what happened. The hand pulled me out. Step me right there. And that was good. Good to go. That never happened again, but it was just a good reminder that God is there. God is faithful. And just a little, yeah, yeah, amen. Yeah, because it's good. Yeah, praise God in the assembly of the righteous. Amen. And it's just also want to put a pitch in for marriage. You know, if you're, God gave me this wonderful life partner 38 years ago, and what a joy and a blessing this has been. And so if you're looking to get married, you think God might be calling you to marriage, Marry like a godly wife. I mean, like somebody who really loves Jesus. Yeah. And then, and then get plugged into a great church, and that'll be like the formula for success for the rest of your life. Yeah. God may not call you to marriage. No biggie. But if you do, that's the path you want to go. All right. Well, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us how to walk by faith. Let's look at how one of God's people faced their life-interrupted event. So I'd like to just look briefly at a guy named Joseph in the Old Testament. So Joseph, you know, he's son of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Joseph was kind of his favorite. And his brothers, uh, they kidnap him and they sell him to a caravan. This is like dark. This is like, I think I got problems. This guy had problems. And, and they take him down to Egypt and they sell him. They tell him to this guy Potiphar, who is captain of the, 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 the king's guard or whatever. And uh, so Potiphar's got him. And, uh, but I love what it says here. But the Lord, what, chapter 39, verse 21, chapter 39, verse 2 says, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Even in the midst of just that kind of, you know, uh, betrayal, God is with him. And then after some time, Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of making sport of her. And Joseph is thrown into prison. And again, we read in verse 39, chapter 39, verse 21, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor 
in the sight of the chief jailer. The Lord is with him. When the scriptures say that the Lord is with him, we don't simply mean like that God is like accompanying you. He's not like just holding your hand, walking. No, we mean that he's caring, that he's sustaining, that he's helping. Yeah, when we walk by faith, the Lord is with us. And I've seen that, and I've heard so many wonderful testimonies from so many of you. And as an elder, I hear even more things. God really does walk with us through our trials, our afflictions, our circumstances. Well, after some time, while Joseph is in prison, um, um, Pharaoh has a dream. Okay, Pharaoh has a dream. And uh, Joseph, through circumstances, he ends up interpreting the dream and tells him, you're going to have seven years of plenty, then you're going to have seven years of famine, and if you want to survive, this is what you need to do. And Pharaoh says, okay, Joseph, you'll be that guy. You'll be my right-hand guy. And Joseph goes from the prison to the palace. He ends up being uh, Pharaoh's number two guy, right? Then Joseph gets married, has two sons. The first one is named Manasseh. Uh, Joseph says, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And then the second son is named Ephraim. And he says, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. This was Joseph's perspective on things. Even with all the injustice he had experienced and all the hardship, being sold into slavery in a country, you know, far from home, away from his family and all that was familiar to him, God had made him fruitful in the land of his suffering. And he even names his son the way he did to honor God's sovereign work in his life and all that he'd been through. And every time he'd look at his son, it would be a perpetual reminder of God's good hand on him, shepherding shepherding him through all this. God is bigger than our trials and our suffering. These things don't have to define us. Yes, they're a part of our story. But God is the one who's writing our story, not our tragedy and our affliction and our sufferings. I've seen this. I've seen this in the lives of our students. I've seen this in the lives of their parents. I've seen this in our own family, that when tragedy, trauma, affliction strikes, you know, the man and woman who walk with God, it's part of your redemptive story. God is able to bring beauty out of ashes, right? He's able to bring hope where hope seems lost. And um, yeah, he's just an amazing God we serve. As Romans 8.28 says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What a beautiful promise that God works all things for the good for his children. Was it easy for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's 90-foot gold image, was it easy for them to be cast into the fiery furnace? I can't imagine. Of course, God delivered them, but what it must have taken to speak truth to power in that situation, just incredible. Would we think it was easy for Jeremiah to speak truth to Zedekiah? At this time, Uh, the nation of Israel was in sin. And so God was bringing the Babylonians in judgment against Israel. And God told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you go and speak to Zedekiah and you tell him to surrender. If he surrenders, he'll live and and those around him will live. But if if he doesn't surrender, he'll die and those around him will die. So Jeremiah delivers that message to Zedekiah. 
But the army officers who hear this think, Jeremiah, you are a traitor telling us to surrender to the enemy. And so they convince the king to let them have their way with him, and they throw Jeremiah into this deep cistern, and there he is languishing you know, deep in the mud. Things are not looking good, and Jeremiah is looking to God for help, and I love what happens. There's a guy in chapter 38 of Jeremiah. There's a guy by the name of Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, a eunuch. He approaches the king and intercedes to get Jeremiah out of that pit of mud. They throw down robes, and they put clothing under his armpit, and they, they hauled him up. It's just amazing. Just, I love this story. Um, so when I say that God's at work, you know, and he's with us in ways we maybe don't even realize sometimes, yeah, we see that happen again and again. God's with his people. I heard one speaker say, God is never late, but he's rarely early either. And just as God was with his servants in the scriptures, he'll be with you and me as well. I don't mean to imply that God always delivers his servants from death and suffering. You know, in Acts chapter 5, the apostles are thrown into the public jail for preaching in the name of Jesus, all right? But what happens? During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the door to the jail and brings them out, and he tells them, go stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life in Christ. Okay, so there's deliverance. But remember chapter 7, what happens there? We have the story of a godly man named Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, a man that God is using to powerfully preach the word and do signs and wonders among the people. He is seized, he's falsely accused, and he gives a speech before the Sanhedrin. This so enrages the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling council, that they take him outside the city, well, they drag him outside, and they stone him to death. And of course, in Acts chapter 12, we have, just in a few verses, we have James, who was put to death by Herod, but then we have Peter, who um, the angel again opens the door and sets him free. And countless numbers of our brothers and sisters have been martyred for their faith down through the ages, and even now, it, it's still happening. So we understand that God is with us in our trials and our afflictions, but we also understand that God deals with each of us in his unique way. He's good, and he can be trusted, but he's sovereign, and he'll do his way. Another lesson I've been learning about walking by faith is that walking by faith is, is best done with godly friends. Yeah, it's not a solo uh, walk. You know, in the Old Testament, we have the story of King David. King David is anointed, he's a young man, he's anointed king, kind of like in a private ceremony with his family. But the current king, King Saul, doesn't like the idea that there's this guy, David, who's going to be taking his place. So King Saul, he makes it his mission to try to kill and destroy David. And so you read chapter after chapter this kind of cat and mouse game of King Saul trying to find and destroy David, okay? And it's just amazing, you know, how it goes on like that. At one point, David becomes aware once more that Saul is hot on his trail. And in chapter, uh, in 1 Samuel 23, we read, now David had become aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horesh and encouraged him in God. That's the thing that got me. 
Jonathan came, Saul's son was very close to David. He came to encourage him in God. That is, the, the text is there. The Holy Spirit wants us to understand that David, this man who defeated Goliath, this man who defeated huge armies, this man who was this great conquering leader, he needed encouragement. And we too, when we're going through things, we need encouragement in the Lord. We can sometimes think that other people are doing much better spiritually than they are. And I wish I could say I've just been flying along, you know, in great victory every day. That has not been the case. I've been so grateful for people who've encouraged and blessed me and been lifting me up. We're all under attack at different times of all sorts in the form of criticism, gossip, negative comments. It takes a toll on even the most godly of people. You know, I'm a big fan of a guy named Charles Spurgeon. He's a famous Baptist preacher of 19th century England. He faced quite a few challenges. I was there's in an online article by Michael Reeve. I'll read this to you. It says, It comes as a surprise to some that Charles Spurgeon had a lifelong battle with depression. His reputation as a famed and powerful preacher, his cheery wit, and his, his cigar-smoking manliness might lead us to imagine there could never be a chink in, in his Victorian Englishman's armor. Aged 22, as pastor of a large church and with twin babies at home to look after, he was preaching to thousands in the Surrey Gardens Music Hall when pranksters yelled, fire, starting a panic to exit the building which killed seven and left 28 severely injured. His mind was never the same again. His wife Susanna wrote, my beloved's anguish was so deep and violent that reason seemed to totter in her throne and we, seemed, and we sometimes fear, feared that he would never preach again. Then from the age of 33, physical pain became a large and constant feature of life for him. He suffered from burning kidney inflammation called Bright's disease as well as gout, rheumatism, and neuritis. The pain was such that it would soon keep him from preaching for one-third of the time. Added to that, overwork, stress, and the guilt about the stress began to take their toll. Well, thankfully, Spurgeon had a wife who believed in him, and he often mentioned the core of people praying for him in the basement of his church and others who supported him to make sure he could get away for rest in, in parts of England and also in the south of France. You had people that came alongside him. They could see the stress and they knew they needed to take action and so they did. Spurgeon needed encouragement. David needed encouragement. All of us need encouragement. We need to be encouraged to keep following hard after God. Sure, I know the scriptures. I've read this book, you know, front to back. I've been through this book. Um, I've been walking with God since I was 20. I'm married to a godly woman. We've seen countless answers to prayer. We've seen God's faithfulness over the years. But I still get discouraged. I can become anxious if I take my eyes off my Savior and let them linger on my circumstances. I've really seen the power of encouragement in my life these uh, last months. You know, one morning I was up early. I'm up early a lot now. And uh, kind of feeling a little down. And right then text came in from one of our elders. Wow, just what I needed. How timely. I remember uh, getting a, 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 um, a letter from a guy in our church. His initials are Jeremy Konkowski. Just this encouraging letter. He said, Chris, when I heard about what happened, you know, uh, my heart was heavy, but I knew that, um, hey, if God heals you, 
praise God. If he doesn't, you'll get to heaven before the rest of us. He was just encouraging. Now, I gave you the cliff notes. He said it. He, he said more of that. It was wonderful. I felt like it was the Apostle Paul speaking right to me. I have that letter. I kept cherishing it. I've been so encouraged by uh, my good friend, Greg Wilson, who's on the same path I'm on, just further down the road. He's given me perspective, has a great wit, a great perspective. Dutch and Leah Fry, Dutch Fry's dealing with this same thing. And uh, boy, I feel like I've been mentored. God's put people in my life to encourage me and help me along. I've gotten cards, emails, texts. I've learned to cherish each one. And uh, friends and coworkers, yeah, this is what we need, right? A bunch of my friends, when I came to Christ, it was like the height of the Jesus movement in uh, 79, and uh, a bunch of us came to Christ at the same time. I've kept in contact with these guys. They all were back. Chris, hey, man, heard about this? Hey, what can we do? How can we help you? Words of encouragement. Wow, sustaining and strengthening. The real battle that I'm facing, it's not cancer. As serious as that is, the battle that's taking place is right I don't know, my mind and my heart. It's the battle of trusting God or not trusting God. And um, having the encouragement of others, that's meant the world, and that's helped me to see victory each day. The last lesson that I've been pondering these days is walking by faith in our life-interrupted moments makes us more like Jesus. As, you know, we, I quoted Romans 8, 28, but let's look at the next verse as well. So I'll read both. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God's plan, his development plan for you and me, his PDP, if we might use that lingo, is to make you and me like Jesus. We are all being conformed to the image of Christ, and he's doing that so that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In essence, Jesus is our older brother, and we're his younger brothers and sisters. Trials and afflictions, these tests of our faith, are one of the ways that God conforms us to the image of his son. You've heard this before. God loves you just the way you are. Okay, yeah. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. And he often uses life-interrupted events to get our attention and to uh, remind us of our need to walk by faith. My affliction, yeah, it's drawn me closer to Jesus. I'm not like more spiritual or anything. I'm not like doing miracles, walking on water, nothing. No, I'm just like aware. I'm like, I just, when I read the Bible, I'm like more desperate. I'm more thirsty. <laughs> so I'm not more spiritual than anybody else here. But I felt like I, I have a, a tenderness in my heart more than I had before. I'm thinking more and more about what really counts in life. You know, there's only a few things that are going to last forever, right? God, his word. This whole world's going to be, there's going to be a new heaven. Everything here is going to be destroyed, right? There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Um, and, 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 but the souls of men and women last forever. God is word forever. I've been thinking more and more about that stuff. Cancer has also given me an empathy for others who are suffering illnesses and various afflictions. And to be honest, I wasn't like callous. I mean, I had a, I'm concerned. I have a tenderness in my heart for people who are suffering. But this is just like amplified it. This is like, yeah, when the prayers come through the church prayer chain, if you're not on that, you know, the emails, yeah, I'm, I'm praying with even more earnestness. That's a good thing. 
And cancer has also made me think more about the resurrection. Of course, you not, I know you all know this. Well, all, everybody's going to be raised, raised from the dead. Not just Christians. Everybody, everybody is going to be raised. Some to eternal life, some to eternal judgment. And cancer has made me think that, hey, I'm getting a new life, a, a new body. I'm going to get the upgrade. You know what version 1.0 is? I think that's what we have right now. We're going to get 2.0. It's like the ultimate upgrade. I can't wait for that. A, a, a body like, somehow, like a body like Jesus has. So I, that encourages me. That blesses me. Affliction, cancer, has definitely put me in a more teachable posture or position. Well, let, let's wrap this up. Uh, I, know, I don't know what you're dealing with. Perhaps you're facing illness. Or maybe you're dealing with an uncertain future. Maybe you're deeply burdened by someone around you. Or maybe you're dealing with fears and anxiety in light of the current COVID situation. How should we approach those things? We should approach all of these situations in the same way we should approach all of life, by faith. We trust in the care and provision of a sovereign and loving God who takes care of his children. Here's some practical steps I think we could take to kind of increase our, encourage and nurture our faith. One, let's spend regular time in God's word. Yep. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There are so many voices coming at us all the time, but God's word keeps me grounded, keeps me focused on what is really true. And I love this book. I love this book because... It has the stories of people who are not perfect, whose faith was flawed, and uh, people that I can identify with. You know, I think of those who, you know, if you read the life of Abraham, how his life progresses, and Peter, and different people. Yeah, this book is just real, and I need a second chance and a third chance. Yeah, this is the God of second chances. And this book it has great stories of men and women of faith who, who I can, yeah, I get it. They're not all perfect. And that gives me encouragement. And also, you know, a lot of life, we want answers. Like, why did this happen? God, why did you allow that to happen? Why did you take this person? Why did you let this tragedy? And the Bible doesn't give those answers. But, the Bible, but what the Bible does do, the Bible reveals God's character. It shows me his character. And as I understand his character, I can trust him. I can trust him in the land of suffering. I can trust him in the land of questioning because he's faithful, he's powerful, he's for me. He works on my behalf. So um, spend time in God's word. If you need help with a Bible reading plan, feel free to ask me or any of the pastors. Second, surrender daily and constantly to the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are the temple of God. And, and Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. You probably never use that word. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit of God influence you. Alcohol will influence the way you think, your speaking, influences your body, right? Well, the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit influence the way you think, the way you speak, the way you behave, right? So maybe each day, get up and think about praying a prayer like this. Lord, today, have your way in my life. Think with my mind. Speak with my voice. See with my eyes. Lord, help me be a vessel that you can use. That's the spirit-filled life, the spirit-surrendered life. That should be the normal Christian life. Um, trusting in him with all our heart, not leaning on our own understanding. 
acknowledging him every way. That's it. That's the, that's, that's the spirit-yielded life. And then lastly, find a place of service. You know, 1 Peter 4, 10 to 12 says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do so. He should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that, it, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. You know, as we rely on the strength that God provides and we put our gifts and our talents into service for his purposes, his name is lifted up. And we experience the joy of seeing God use us, and in, in essence, you know, partnering with Him. And that's so satisfying and encouraging. Of course, we serve not because we have to. It's not out of obligation. We want to, right? For all that God has done for us, don't you just want to, like, try to pay back or something? Not really, but you want to do something to honor your Savior. You want to do something to say thank you. So that's how I look at service. It's a way of just saying thank you, God. Thank you for letting me have a little part in this. You know, thank you for letting me have my part in the kingdom work. You've done so much for me. Let me be a blessing somehow to somebody else. Well, maybe you're looking for a place to plug in. You're looking for a way to serve in our church family. Or maybe your schedule's full. You don't have any time. <laughs> the idea of doing one more thing is just overwhelming. We get that. But um, we're opening up, right? We're opening up again. Lots of things are coming online. And so um, I just you know, talk to the staff, and of course, there's a big need in media. So if you'd like to help with media, be sure to see Aiden, and there's, they'll put you to work. Um, Aiden, our pastor. Kids ministry, boy, you know, that next generation. We've got lots of kids here. What a wonderful, um, you know, next generation coming up. And to disciple and mentor these kids, we've got lots of kids programs that need lots of adults to staff. So if you can help with that, uh, be sure to check with Bill Jester. Let him know that you're available or see what's needed. And then also, we have a front desk. You know, the church is open every day, and we need somebody at the front desk to like answer phones and you know whatever happens at the front desk. So if you can help with that, uh, see Chad; he'll help you that way. And of course, um, there's other needs as well. I'm sure if you just look on the on the um, on the website, you'll see that. Well, that's all I have today. So let me just close this in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that we walk by faith and not by sight. It's an amazing thing that we serve a God we can't see, but we see your handiwork, your power, and your great work everywhere. And Lord, thank you for these trials and afflictions you put us through because they cause us to trust you all the more. And Lord, I, I think, Lord, if there's any here who are struggling right now, I pray you would strengthen them, that you would help our brothers and sisters, who, if there's any here who are really having a tough time, that you would be near them and you'd help us to know how best to encourage them, and that we would be a people fully yielded and surrendered to you, and that you would find your expression through each one of us. Thank you that you are a God who hears and answers prayer. Thank you that there's nothing too difficult for you. Thank you that you do, yeah, you can bring beauty out of the ashes, or we're just grateful, so grateful. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.